0: This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joar.
1: Brought to you by MediaTek. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Jouar, and today is Thursday, May 12th, 2022. And my guest is the awesome Richard Lou of MediaTek. How are you, Richard?
0: I'm doing well. How are you?
1: I'm doing pretty good, actually. You're here to talk about something really new and exciting that MediaTek launched this week. I'm actually kind of curious if you can tell us more about the Genio platform that was just announced.
0: Yeah, so uh, this week uh, in Phoenix, uh, MediaTek launched the Genio platform. It's like nothing that uh, MediaTek has traditionally done before. I think traditionally, MediaTek has been known as a you know, big consumer vertical Uh, type company going after these big uh, consumer vertical markets like mobile or TV or uh, consumer products. And today we're branching out into uh, a Genio platform or introducing a Genio platform and going out and trying to tackle or get into the broad market IoT uh, market. So
1: tell me what you mean by IoT, because my listeners are probably going, what do you mean, Miriam? What are you doing in a show about IoT? (laughs) I think there's way more to this than IOT here, so that's kind of what I want to explore with you a little more.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, what we're looking at when we look at IOT, and we sort of the way I view it, it is sort of divided into like consumer IOT, enterprise IOT, and an industrial IOT. So, the consumer IOT part we're very familiar with in the sense that you know it's, it's a very similar business model to what we're using. Uh, but the enterprise industrial IOT market segments, they're looking for something that they could build on top of where they could use the, a lot of ecosystem partners uh, and to sort of make their application solutions. So with the Genio platform, what we're looking to do is where we've introduced a, uh, a family of SOCs and there'll be more coming down the pipe and they're all built on the same common Genio SDK. So you could develop once uh, with the Genio SDK uh, for, and you could change out uh, SOCs um, later. So you could develop I one see. and just keep deploying different SOCs. So that's something that's been traditionally different uh, from what MediaTek has been focused on. In the sense that uh, MediaTek, you could think of the you know the mobile or the more vertical as more customized solutions. Here, where we're, we're building and we're releasing a platform. So right. one SOC, right, or both multi- a family of SOCs built on the same common uh, Genio SDK
1: um,
0: uh-huh. that allows you to interchange parts, so that. You know, in this market, um, our customers want to develop once and then they want to, you know, use it for multiple products.
1: So this is a consumer-focused podcast. So give me examples of what the Genio chip would be used for, what kind of devices the consumers would see the chip appear in. Are we talking smart speakers, um, smart displays? Am I completely forgetting something really critical here that would be a device? Because I looked at the specs on this, the Genio 1200, which is the first chip. And you guys have incredible features here, like you can drive two 4K displays, like there's a whole bunch of stuff happening. So, you know, walk us through what you think your customers, which are obviously the manufacturers of these devices, would potentially use this for, at least on the consumer's facing side.
0: Okay. So on the consumer side, we have a lot of existing business and a lot of design ins uh, in the areas of like smart, uh, sorry, uh, connected fitness, smart fitness, Mm -hmm. connected fitness. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a very big trend with the pandemic going through a little bit of a bump recently as people have gone outside. But I think overall, so we're looking
1: at devices like like connected bicycles, bikes, you know, connected and... weights, okay, connected rowing
0: machines, fitness machines. Um, so all that uh, the, the connected fitness market segment. So um, we have a lot of designing with other products uh, like on connected bikes, connected just fitness equipment um, specifically for the uh, product that we announced, the G twelve hundred. Uh, Genio 1200, that would be more of a high-end device, more uh, applicable for like computer vision uh, with a lot of AI processing on the edge. And a use case could be in the Connected Fitness segment, for example, is if you have a virtual instructor and they could see that if you're doing the exercises correct, how many exercises you have done, right? Uh, things you of that You can nature. correct
1: a camera, the camera can do some AI on the motion you're right. doing and kind of give... Right the trainer a little bit more than just what they can see on the screen. Like they can go, you know, we, we've managed to track the motion. Here's what we see. And, uh, you know, they see some, some little thing on there and they're like, you're doing so great, Richard, keep going. Right.
0: <laughs> right. Or your form is off or it could be even be like a computerized trainer where they recognize your form is off. Or, you know, if you're, there's a competition for say, for example, how many burpees you could do, you know, or online, because I think online fitness competition is quite popular. Like, well, You didn't do a burpee. That wasn't a burpee based on our algorithm.
1: Right, right, right. I get it. Wow, that's cool.
0: Yeah, so that's one application. But I mean, the Genio 1200 is is a pretty high-end platform.
1: Yeah, so actually walk us through this real quick because, you know, I have a lot of nerds on my show. Like I told you already about the dual 4K display, but and you talked about the NPU, the AI processing. What other kind of subsystems are in this chip? Because to me, I looked at it and I'm like, wow, this looks a lot like what MediaTek does on... Their, you know mobile chips and some of the other products I've seen. So walk us through a little bit what kind of you know chiplets as it were you picked and put in there that you felt were relevant and why I'd be really curious to know.
0: Yeah, so this chipset, I mean uh, it's a very it's an advanced uh, on an advanced node. it's on a six nanometer node. It's an octal core, a big little four uh, uh, A78s and 4 a55 pairing as a Mali GPU. Um, it has two, uh, what we call uh, our MDLA, which is the dedicated APUs, and also two VPUs. So it's wow. um, a really powerful chip. I mean, and as you said, it's uh, very similar to some of the more mobile consumer-type uh, like chipsets. And we, we chose this as the first chipset uh, out of the gate for our platform because we realized it is very high-end, and we wanted to be able to have like a general purpose as possible because we plan on introducing a family of devices. So this will be going on low end. So first out of the gate, a very high end device that you could play with. You could uh, look at experiment with. And, but when it comes to production, there are going to be other devices too that could, that could be maybe, for example, more suitable to the end applications. And once again, since the same SDK can be run on all the devices, um it's just about replacing the the soc so um this is the, the yeah so it's a very high end chipset it has a lot of as uh, a you know very powerful uh, cpu gpu apu do you have an
1: isp on there and of course you have you have a the ability to process video streams yep and DSP, I presume, as well, right? ISP and DSP?
0: Yeah, exactly, as as all that. So as you know, MediaTek's uh, ISP, we have the algorithm there. We're going to release the in the SDK the ISP and the Neuropilot's MediaTek's uh, AI uh, SDK package. Uh, that will be released in the SDK as libraries with developer tools around it. So it's a very flexible general-purpose device. as a lot of IOs. Uh, we've even uh, qualified this for wide temperature, so it actually could even be used out of the oh. uh, consumer sort of market and more like enterprise and industrial market. So it really is a powerful general purpose chip. Um, and we're working with uh, a lot of partners today. There's been a lot of interest from our partners in developing SOM. So, you know, we really want to get this into the hands of our customers and something that they could easily develop. on. Yeah. So you're
1: basically doing something and just going, let's see what sticks and let's market this more as a IoT with AI solution that's powerful enough that you you know, might open up some new functionality. Tell us about the connectivity on that chip. Obviously, this is MediaTek, right? 5G and Wi-Fi is your bread and butter. So what is included here? I presume Bluetooth and Wi-Fi are included, correct?
0: Uh, So actually, uh, the chip itself does not have connectivity. So it's actually very modular. Uh Uh, So we wanted to give the customer the flexibility. It is uh, supported by uh, Wi-Fi 6 Bluetooth chip. Uh, okay. from MediaTek so we work right. with that on the you same You make SDK. a bunch of those we know. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but like you said MediaTek is known for connectivity so uh of course we will support that and also a uh, 5G SIM modem module so that's right. another thing But that's, that's actually
1: external so that's very interesting so that's yeah. the distinction you made with this chip is like no connectivity built in we're going to offer you interfaces to other connectivity options but that's interesting. Okay. So that's where you capped it off.
0: Yeah, I mean where we see the IoT market as, you know, it's very broad, right? And there's a lot of different end markets, a lot of applications, not just in consumer, but like I said, across industrial and enterprise. And we want to give customers flexibility. And so yeah. in our viewpoint it's in our sort of perspective, it's all about giving the customer the flexibility, the, you know, to do what they need to do to fit their end application.
1: And because it comes with an SDK that's going to be common across all the Genio platforms for the developers listening out there, because I used to make video games, I was a developer, so I I kind of Mm -hmm. get it. It's like, I think what you're doing here is you're providing some standard tools so that they can basically like say, okay, we don't want to use an SOC for mobile because it has a very specific set of requirements in use, but we want to create a product and we're not quite sure exactly what we're going to need for it we like basically think of it more like we need a microcontroller of some kind in this case, we need some kind of application processor that does some heavy lifting, has all the capabilities we need, and we have this product here that comes with an SDK so we can start hitting the metal right away and get something done and then the nice thing is that once we've developed around it, we can just package it up into something that can be commercialized directly into either consumer product, an enterprise product, or an industrial product, right? And so that's, I think, is that kind of, would you say the the kind of the killer feature of this product?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's something where uh, you could develop on. um, And if, for example, a lot of our customers have talked to us and they want something where they develop once and then they have have a family of products, right? From the very high end to the low end or maybe different products using the same common SOC. And they want to develop on that and be able to choose like well I have a Genio 1200 which is for a high end application which I do need the uh the computer vision the 4K I need display the I, or whatever I, I, yeah, yeah, I the right, 4K, right the the HDMI I need all that and then maybe I have a very mid end or a low end product right which I don't might not need all that and which but I don't want to develop the software all over again right right and so um I could use maybe like a Genio 500 or a yeah. Genio 300 and so that's our goal to develop a family of products supported by the same SDK and which gives our end customers that freedom. And, you know, we've seen that, speaking of connectivity, why we chose to have it as modules is uh, there's customers who have products uh, on, develop on the same platform with uh, cellular and without, right? right? Of so they, yeah. some, they want a Wi-Fi only. And so we want to give them the flexibility and, uh, you know, and it's all about like flexibility for our customers.
1: So as we discussed earlier in terms of the Genio 1200 and the Genio family so far what you're looking at right now more in consumer side is is uh health and fitness appliances really like you know bicycles and and like mm-hmm. things that are you know a little more complicated than a you know thermostat. Right right. And also I'm sure that you're doing smart speakers and uh smart displays right like that's probably another category that this would be yes. perfect for yeah.
0: Right, so like smart speakers, smart displays, that's not covered under Genio and we have there's a lot of big customers that are sort of covered by some of our other product lines on that. No, I know
1: you already have products for that, but I'm just wondering if yeah. is this something that you envision this product for or you're like, nah, this is not it, we're going to do something else for that.
0: Um, it's something that's of interest to us for sure, like but where we're seeing the most traction is it is around like I guess you could call it the umbrella of smart home, but smart fitness because of the AI capabilities and the
1: computer vision stuff, yeah.
0: Yeah, and the computer vision. So, and also, like, the smart appliance. The um, fridges. So, you know, we, like, fridges, yeah, exactly.
1: Everybody wants their fridge with a display on it these days. <laughs> my friends come to my house, and they're like, you don't have a fridge with a display. What are you doing? And I'm like, well, you know.
0: Well, the biggest problem that I have is, you know, food expiring, right? So, right. you know, one of the applications for this Scanning is a fridge. Scanning food, deep. yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, what's in your fridge? You know, like, do you need to order something? An application could be, like, an oven, like, what you're cooking. Are you burning it? How, you know, all, all the that. The June
1: oven, right. Okay. I mean, uh, ah, there we go. You're opening it up for me. It's good. Like, you know, the audience is probably wondering at this point, really just fitness? You did this just for fit? I'm like, nah, it has got to be more. That's why I was kind of trying to figure it out. Give us some examples of industrial applications that you're kind of targeting and some uh, business. You know, again, we're consumer centric here, but I think the audience would be interested since your product does that as well.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, in the industrial space, you know, it's, you know, as you know, like industry 4.0 is is a big sort of like buzzword and a a trend. Um, Once again, the the Genio 1200 generic platform, we wanted to capture as much of the sort of IoT SAM as we could. So we did uh, qualify for wide temperature um, and there's uh, high reliability as well. Uh, but some of the applications is more like like in the factory, like defect, looking at the defects of...
1: Right, sorting things on conveyor belts, yeah. having a display interface that the operator can visualize, you know, so you need to drive a display. It doesn't have to be 4K, but you need to drive a display. You got some cameras, you got some AI. Yeah, totally yeah, get and it. You
0: need to be recognized like as the things coming down the production line. Is this a good? Is this bad? Is a defect? And be able to sort that out. Um, other a- applications I- I've seen in sort of like the industrial or enterprise is you know another one i saw was identifying weeds you know just it's a very general purpose you know where before you might have a human do it now you could have a robot do it uh and then you know for example like in farming you could identify weeds and you know uh very i guess accurately kill them without harming the plant
1: this is going to be the next chip inside the uh, john deere autonomous tractor <laughs> then
0: right yeah hopefully i mean i think uh but that's <laughs> sort of like you know the way it's going with sort of the computer vision and This is a great chip for that. Totally understand. Right, right. I see it.
1: And then in terms of like more business applications that are not in the factory, what are you seeing here? Um, Enterprise, you know.
0: um, Enterprise, this has not had as much pickup uh, that that we've seen, but we're just introducing it. Uh, Most of it, what we've seen is sort of on the consumer side and the industrial side. Um, In the business side, um, we've seen some other chipsets have uh more interest um some with more of a integrated 5g my
1: first thought was security you know you can have uh you know you can have cameras and you have this chip driving them you can get some ai who's in what room right now recognize them you know locate richard on the uh, mediatek campus oh well he's in conference room 12 right now in a meeting leave him alone and you know (laughs) i don't know it's just kind of what i'm thinking you know those little tablets you see in the conference room, they have like the an interface to control all the AV stuff, but also show you the calendar. And then sometimes they have a camera system so you can kind of like peek into the room and say, oh, there's a meeting and I don't want to bother anyone.
0: <laughs> the reason why I didn't bring that application up, so that is a great point. Um, That is one of the major applications. Uh, the reason why I didn't bring that up is we actually, we have more specialized chipsets for that.
1: Ah, they already do that, right? Yeah, cool. yeah. So
0: maybe I'll come back here in a lifetime later to introduce that product, but we do have... <laughs> Nice. <laughs> we do have uh, those products in our roadmap for more specialized versions for, for that application.
1: Well, you know, we'll be happy to have you back. One last question before we wrap up is tell us a bit about on the side of power management. Is this meant to be uh, permanently powered by an external source kind of device? Or you do you have enough power management provisions there to connect a battery, manage its charging? Or is that completely an external thing on this chip?
0: Uh, for this, it's, I think it's... Um it could be in battery-powered devices. Um, some of the stuff that we're looking at is more powered by an external source, but um, you know, it's a very fine line process. So you get a lot of high performance at you know pretty low power. I was gonna say,
1: right? It's a pretty efficient chipset with uh, the manufacturing size that you're using there, right? So
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think um, you know, battery power is definitely possible. Uh, some of the stuff that we've looked at so far that we've gotten a lot of interest is more powered by external source. Uh, yeah, but, makes sense. You know, it's. Based on our heritage, I definitely, uh, you know, everything is battery powered for for Mediatek. It's designed with that in mind, low power. Right. Browser.
1: So you've got that power management built in. It can be turned off Absolutely. if people need it. Right. Awesome. Yep. Well, Richard, awesome to have you on the show. I really, really appreciate having you. It's Richard Liu from uh, Mediatek Folks. Um We'll definitely have you on the show at some point in the future, and we're now going to continue with Hadley Simons of uh, Android Authority on the news. Thanks again, Richard, for being my guest on the show.
0: All right. Thank you for having me.
1: And before we continue, I want to say a brief word about our sponsor, MediaTek. MediaTek enables nearly 2 billion connected devices a year and its AIoT platforms are already trusted by global device makers in products that power wide-ranging applications. MediaTek Genio is a complete platform stack for the AIoT with powerful and ultra-efficient chipsets, open-platform software development kits and a developer portal with comprehensive resources and tools. This all-in-one platform makes it easy for brands to develop innovative consumer, enterprise, and industrial smart applications at the premium, mid-range, and entry levels, and bring these devices to market faster. Thanks again to MediaTek for being sponsors, and let's continue with the news of the week. So Hadley, you're here with me in San Diego, and we just heard from Richard about the new MediaTek announcement. I want to talk to you about the news. We've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about, specifically uh, I.O., which I think kind of uh, took us off for a loop, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Thanks for having me, by the way. Absolutely. (laughs) It's been a while since we've been in person. I think the last time you and I did a show was, uh, in person at least, was in Taiwan at Mediatek's headquarters Four years ago? 2018? Yeah. My God, it's been that long? Yep. Okay. (laughs) Well, the bottom line here is Google I.O. threw us for a loop, and then we have a bunch of new phone announcements. So I want to kind of go over that for you, with you. Tell me what was the thing that surprised you the most about Google I.O.? Um, I haven't I haven't
2: checked absolutely every single announcement. I did have to write a few for the website, obviously. Um, I guess the fact that they decided to announce the the Pixel 7 officially, the Pixel 7 series officially.
1: Yeah, I did not it's, expect that either. It's,
2: it's not unprecedented for them because they've done that before, um, where they've responded to leaks by announcing something, you know, hey, we're we working on this. So I guess that but still, it's, it's still very uncommon for a company to announce something uh, this far in advance and show off something and, you know, give a few extra details. So that was probably one of them for me. But I
1: also feel that's a double-edged sword with Samsung clearly going to do something for the fall and Apple, of course, doing the iPhone 14 and we know there's some new AirPods Pro coming at some point soon. You know, the question is, how are they going to be able to make this work? Like they, the cat's out of the bag now. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I guess, I guess it didn't, it didn't. Um, I think, I think this happened with the Pixel 6 series as well. I I, I feel where there was, uh, you know, um, a long, a long kind of lead from hey, here's the, we actually have a Pixel 6 coming to, you know, releasing it. So uh, that's going to be interesting. And, of course, they announced at I.O. that, you know, they sold more Pixel 6s than the 4 and 5 combined. So I mean,
1: that's great for them. Yeah. Congratulations, Google. But that metric is not particularly exciting. No, it's not. Right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it is exciting for them, like you say, Yeah. but um, in the grand scheme of things, it's still probably a long way away from, uh, aside from Apple and Samsung, you know, from even the likes of Motorola, I guess.
1: Yeah. So for me, the takeaway was I did not expect the Pixel 7 to be shown or announced, I guess, today. I expected the watch, which we got, and that's actually I expected that to be coming out soon, and we found out that's coming out alongside the Pixel Seven, right? Yeah. So that is
2: a pretty weird. <laughs> that is a pretty weird, uh, disclosure. Ugh.
1: Yeah. So I think for me, the thing is, you know, the six A, the Pixel six A, we'd seen the leaks. It matches. We are getting it July twenty first for four forty nine. So that's yeah. not too surprising. It's nice the price hasn't changed. I mean, you guys yeah. never got it, right? No, we, the whole of Africa does not get Pixel phones. Um, <laughs> so. but, but even if you were like, say you weren't living in South Africa, but yeah. you were in the UK or whatever, Europe didn't get it. Yeah. Japan and the US were the only ones who exactly. got it. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, for me, it's like... I'm hoping this has a wider distribution because yes. the five a was such a great yeah, phone. Yeah, but I'm happy to see they didn't raise the price further.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I have my reservations about the price. Um, you know, I think people who were expecting a super low price would have been disappointed. But I was hoping for kind of like four hundred would have been a great point. Yeah. you know. But either way, I think this phone. It, it, it does have a couple of sensible additions, like the, the Tensor chip is super powerful yep. um, for the price, you know, um, comparable to what's in the the latest iPhone SE, um, in, not not in terms of horsepower, but just in terms of that positioning, you know, with Google's top-end chip, Apple's top chip, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, So that's pretty interesting. I do have some reservations about like 18-watt charging, you know. Well, I mean, they said
1: fast charging in the spec, but we know it's pretty much 18-watt, which is like, whatever. Exactly.
2: Which, Um, yeah, I'm really tired
1: of that. But I mean, in terms of... So let's go over it real quick. The things that stood out for me were the fact that it has a metal frame. Yeah. Which, I mean, the Pixel 5a last year was polycarbonate over metal like the Pixel 5. But it was not pure polycarbonate like the 4a series right yeah. so in that sense it was a step up and it gained water resistance which i believe the 6a has as well yeah. yeah so you know especially in our market here in the us where we don't really have too many phones in that sweet spot of less than 400 sure. Sure. you know you're getting a relatively premium experience right yeah you, the yeah. cameras are the 12 megapixel main and 12 megapixel ultra wide that we've yeah. had before exactly and those are pretty no, they're not exciting, but they're yeah. well sorted in terms yeah. of, uh, you know, software and and imaging pipeline. And the tensor gives you a lot more oomph. So if you have a Pixel Five A or Four A right now, and you see that little spinny wheel after you took a sure. photo in yeah. the preview, not not in the you know, you can take more photos, but if you look in them in Google Photos, it does that processing sure. thing, yeah, and yeah. it does it for quite a while longer than on a Pixel Six yeah. or Six you Pro. Will, you will notice. It. You will notice a difference in performance there. And the battery is something like, I want to say 4400 or, 40, or 4300, something like that. Like yeah. a minimum and typical capacity. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, the screen is 6.1 inch. I think it's a 1080p AMOLED yeah. with in-display fingerprint sensor, yeah. 60 hertz. But hey, you know what? That's
2: a pretty compelling package. Yeah. I'm, I mean, you know, I, I understand the, and I, I am a little disappointed that I didn't go with a high refresh rate. Um, it but, would have been nice. Yeah, it would have been, it would have been great. But um, we actually did a poll on our site, I think, last year or the year before, asking people to choose between, you know... um a high refresh rate LCD and a 60 Hertz OLED, and it was overwhelmingly in favor of 60 Hertz OLED.
1: Yeah, and that's so. what OnePlus did with that phone that you don't have, but you saw it the <laughs> of course. OnePlus Nord N25G. They decided to go from LCD 90 Hertz last year to on the N10 5G to sure. a, you know, OLED 60. And mm-hmm. I personally, yeah, would feel the same. Yeah. I would pick an OLED 60 over an LCD 90 same for sure. every time. So I think this is good. Like, no surprises there. A little surprised that I was expecting them to increase the price simply because of supply issues. So I'm glad that didn't happen. Um, and the watch, we don't know anything about the pricing. We I expected it now or like in July with the rest of the stuff. And we're getting it alongside the 7, uh, which is sometime in the fall. And then the, the big surprising news to me was the Pixel Buds Pro, yeah. which have active noise cancelling and I think a pricey 199. dollars Um, I didn't look at the specs, but I believe that it has wireless charging. It better do that 199 yeah, Uh, And that's coming out July 28th, or a week after, technically, the Pixel 6a. So, you know, stay tuned for reviews. But those, it's funny how we expected the watch to come now, and we heard that might be earbuds, but I expected that to come out with the 7. And we knew that the 7 was coming, but now we know everything about it. So let's switch to the 7 because the industrial design is really interesting. Did you notice that on the 6A, it has the visor, right? Like this, for those of you watching on Patreon, I've got a Pixel 6 Pro in my hand. So, you know, the visor here is just a piece of glass and the cameras are behind it, right? So the 6A is interesting because it still has a piece of glass, but I think it might be plastic. And then there's an oval cutout of glass inside that's also black. So it looks like this, but instead of, I think, being one piece of glass that covers all the lenses, it's a piece of plastic. And then it's got this oval cutout, which is glass, for the lenses. But that oval cutout is important because the Pixel 7 goes, like, dives right yeah. into that design, yeah. right? And it's they made aluminum. Yeah, they made the, this, the visor out of uh, polished aluminum. And... They have the cutout, this oval cutout, and think, think about the Nexus 6P, yeah. right? That's yeah. kind of like what you have to imagine. I mean, by now you've all seen the photos because everybody's talked about Google I/O. So I'll definitely put a link to you know some content that shows you uh, the actual industrial design of the Pixel Seven and Seven Pro, and that surprised me a little bit. I I kind of think. The visor is really easily, immediately identifiable, yeah, yeah. but I also think some people don't like it. So yeah. Google kind of just went like, let's variation let's on the theme. Sure. I,
2: I like the idea of the visor because I think it's it's important to have a differentiating factor in terms of design. Um, you know, phones have started to look very samey, you know, for a while now. So I, I really do like them. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in team visor, I guess. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. I love it. Too. Yeah. So um, I like I'm, a I'm phone glad.
1: that's easily identifiable. Yeah, right?
2: for sure. So I'm 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 definitely glad to see them doing that. Um, the aluminum, aluminium, whatever. Um, you can say <laughs> yeah. it's fine. I, I, I like that idea as well because um, you know glass being glass, um, it breaks. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, let's see how let's see how that works out. But uh, I like I do like the idea. Of it. We don't know
1: too much else about the phones. They just showed. As what they would look like. I don't think they revealed much other than it's got a second generation Tensor chip. Sure. We didn't get screen sizes or battery Nothing. sizes or camera sensors, yeah. but clearly the 7 Pro is to the, you know, seven what the 6 Pro is to the six yeah. in the sense that it does have an extra camera, yeah, which we sure. assume is the telephoto. Sure. And uh, I don't think it's gonna be anything radically different from what we have today other than your Tensor chip. I wouldn't be surprised if they keep the same sensors.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't because, be surprised because, you know, Google being Google, the one thing I would like to see is for them to add autofocus to the ultra wide cameras because for macro, you know, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, um,
1: and although right now you can pull back and punch in a bit and you get your macro in a way, sure, sure. but it doesn't always work very exactly. well because 4x is really far, yeah.
2: And <laughs> another problem with not having autofocus on the ultra wide is just you can't get as creative with your ultra wide shots, you know, if you want to focus on the foreground with having a you know, the blurred-out background that's super wide, you know, that sort of experimentation. Yeah. So um, I'm always uh, advocate for for autofocus on the ultra wide.
1: So, you know, that's the gear we got. But then we got time traveled back to 2013 or 2012 because Google has decided they're going to launch a tablet next year in 2023, an Android tablet from Google in 2023. Yeah. Haven't they learned their lesson? Yeah. It, and it looks exactly like if you grab the screen off of a Google Nest Hub, uh, you know the display one. It looks like they grabbed the screen right off of that sure, industrial sure. design one. The front, it's got bezels that are a little bit big. Not they're they're consistent, but they're not as thin as what you get like on a on a Galaxy Tab S8 or or an iPad or yeah. even like a, a Huawei Mate Pad 11, which I really like. Yeah, but the. Um, thing that struck me the most is the back the design on the back kind of it basically pixel looks five. like <laughs> pixel 5 or yeah. pixel even all the way back to pixel 3a I want to sure, say sure. it's very boring yeah and I'm feeling The entire like
2: design is kind of very boring to be
1: if honest you're with. gonna make a tablet when you have this visor design why not somehow incorporate that in the tablet sure, and sure. and this is a brand new product so they clearly like could have industrially designed it, as it were, to be something that fits into the family. Sure. You know, and yeah. then you look at the Pixel Watch, which, by the way, matches exactly the, the leaks we've seen. And that thing looks gorgeous. Yeah,
2: yeah. Definitely. I don't know if the,
1: <laughs> the same team was working on both devices. <laughs> so this is the thing. I want to... You might say I'm wrong in a year when things comes out, but I have a bad feeling about this tablet.
2: Yeah, it's, it seems super generic. Um, you know, I think the software software side is all so oh there's another thing, it's running a tensor chip. Um, so, yeah. yeah. I mean and
1: they showed some new functionality of multi-window copy and paste and stuff that we've seen on iPad. A lot of functionality to integrate the Chromebooks and phones and watches and tablets in the Android ecosystem with a you know, like a shared clipboard and stuff but basically all of this stuff already exists on the Apple ecosystem and it's about time that it exists on the Google sure, ecosystem so sure. I'm not that excited that's why I feel this tablet's going to be a flop because Android it's not that the tablet itself is going to be bad although the industrial design is already yeah. a little meh it's more like and i'm sure this new google os version of which it'll be what 13 something or maybe it'll run 14 just, but, since yeah. 2023 yeah. but the bottom line is i'm sure it'll be really nice but the apps that what makes the ipad is the ecosystem of apps that are optimized for so their exactly. user experience and I don't think Google can rally the developers. The developers yeah. have no incentives yeah. to do anything about this.
2: I agree. Um, you know, the easiest way. You know, I've always, I've always wondered, like, can they do it in software somehow, where it's an automatic thing without any intervention from the developers? But it seems like it seems like whatever whatever the case is, is that they just can't get the developers to. To, to get on board. And that's disappointing because, like you say, the hardware is not the problem, you know, in, yeah. in terms of Android. and, and it
1: feels, that that's, that's why I'm saying 2012, 2013, because it feels like we're going right back sure. to the, you know, the Nexus Pixel <laughs> and Nexus tablets. I mean, the Nexus 7 aside, because that one, it really had a sweet spot in price Definitely. and functionality. There weren't phones that big then and 7 inches, right? Yeah. Now it's pretty common. And, and they weren't any affordable devices that we could just have around the house as remote controls for things. And and I felt like the seven was the ultimate remote control definitely, around the house. Definitely. right? But I feel like, you know, the Nexus ten was never great, the Nexus nine was never great. Yeah. And then we got that Pixel tablet yeah. with the magnetic keyboard. Sure. What was that called? Do you remember? Was it, not, it wasn't I can't remember it wasn't, was it the Pixel C Pixel, Pixel C? Or Pixel or C Pixel C. And or then we got the Chromebook with a weird Chromebook tablet yeah. like Pixel a book, Pixel book Pixelbook. Uh, No, Pixel Book is the one that's the convertible. That one's great. Yeah. yeah. Talk about the Pixel tablet. What was that? Pixel Pixel slate? Slate. I think you're right. Like, look, we've even forgotten yeah. and we yeah. cover this stuff for a living. Like, i that's my point. It's like, I don't want to be negative, but Google, yeah. why are you trying? Like, if Google had said, oh, and one more thing, we're making a folding phone. yeah, That's yeah. what I expect exactly. right now. I don't expect a tablet. I expect tablet functionality on a phone that Google yeah. makes that's folding. Yeah. And we know it's coming, but I just can't believe that they have the guts to go up there on stage after already sque- wandering away their their surprise of the pixel 7 even though we know it's going to leak but for the average person out there you know it wasn't an official thing Uh, and but they made it an official thing this this show to doing that they went out and said oh by the way we're making a tablet like
2: what yeah it would be like it would be like microsoft announcing that it's making a traditional smartphone
1: you know like you guys have been there before you know (laughs) i honestly look i love google A lot of people having issues with their Pixel 6 and 6 Pros, like software bugs. I I have no issues. I don't (laughs) understand why I have not done anything special. I use this phone multiple hours a day. It's my daily driver. I do all my work on it. If I'm not on a laptop, I'm on this. And I have no issues. It doesn't randomly reboot. Wi-Fi works. LTE works. 5G works. Camera is good. I like it. It takes good photos. If you ask me, other than the performance of the camera in terms of speed, the camera is actually not as good, not as well-tuned as the potential to be good as the 5A because that sensor is really well-known by Google. So I'm kind of excited in a way about the 6A because I'm thinking that combination of the sensor and then the oomph behind it, right? So my point is that I'm happy. I'm a happy Google user, but Google's strategy, it still seems so fragmented and all over (laughs) the place. It's like all these different projects, you know, other than search, which is their bread and butter, is everybody's kind of doing their own thing, like, even if you look at the Pixel Watch, like, it's gorgeous, but you're like, yeah. did the Pixel Watch team talk to the Pixel phone team? Because, like, this is like a very pebbly, very soft industrial design, very elegant, yeah. you know, and then, you know, this is very, I hate to say it, but masculine, very square, yeah. very rectangular, very aggressive, very unique. You know, whereas, you know, you could, like, I'm wearing a OnePlus watch right now, and honestly, you could probably mistake this for a Pixel watch from a distance, right? I don't know. It's yeah, interesting.
2: I think the only thing that gives it away is the bezel. The bezel, the bezel yeah. Yeah, yeah. The but I mean, edges. you know,
1: there's that round edge on the OnePlus watch here. So, you know, to me, this is kind of like the stuff that I'm like... I mean there's a lot of AI talk. I'm very yeah. excited about them uh using the monk scale for the you know Yeah the, the color the color yeah. of skin and sure. letting people now say this is my skin color on the monk scale. Yeah and I only want to watch like YouTube videos that uh, cater to makeup tips for people my skin color, yeah. right? That's really important. And so there's a bunch of stuff I heard that was really great. Like again, the the kind of universal copy and paste clipboard thing, like it's all nice, but Nothing to me was just like, oh my god, this is yeah, incredible.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, I I got this. I felt the same um, for for most of the announcements that I did actually see. Um, not, a, a lot of it was like you say, some of like the Pixel tablet stuff was like, guys, this is you've been here before. You know, the stuff like the Pixel six a things. You know, for the US great, but nothing that really jumped out at you. If they had the Pixel fold, they like you say, that would have been easily you know one of the better announcements you know <laughs> but eh.
1: yeah so so to me what stands out is you know like we have phones like this right the, the redmi note 11 pro plus uh that is you know in the sub $300 range like very affordable and sold in many markets and that phone is incredible now it's not as good as a pixel 6a is gonna be in terms of camera for example but, you know, no, I, yeah. I've, I've yeah, tested it. Software-wise, like, it's going to be… Not just the software. Yeah. Like, the camera doesn't have the dynamic range of even a Pixel 5a. So yeah. it's it's not, you know, but don't get me wrong. It's a great all-around phone. It has a lot of good features. Yeah. It's really affordable. It's fast. It's got a nice display, high refresh rate. Good processor, 5G, all that. So, you know, it's a great phone, but, you know, we don't get phones like this in this market. So you guys are so lucky that you have, you know, you're going to look at this Pixel if you get it ever. Like, or if you were able to buy it from, you know, the UK or the, you know, the Emirates or something, you'd be like yeah no why would i do that when yeah, i can buy this exactly. or poco you know yeah. or or anything like any yeah. any Apple or realme i mean yeah. come on you know yeah
2: definitely um but you know the situation is what it is you know these are the choices you have in the market so you know um for if you are looking for a budget uh, mid-range phone i think um the, the 6a will be definitely one to watch um for everyone else, I think, in, in other countries, I think, you know, like you say, Xiaomi, Realme, all these guys will be offering better value for money. Um, but the Galaxy A53, I think, is also going to be one of those devices.
1: Yeah, and we get that too. And, and I, you know, for our market, I think the this, this OnePlus I showed earlier, I think is a pretty good deal. But yeah, right now it's yeah. only on T-Mobile. It's coming out unlocked soon. But look, the reality is, I don't know, I, I kind of want to wrap up. You know, IO, because there's so yeah, much more talk about sure. here, but, but like my, my thought was, I really want to see Google as somebody who uses their services and loves the phones and their devices in general, all the, and uses them all the time. I want to see more coherence more strategy more of a united front i'm not asking it to be as vertically integrated as apple that's never really going to happen yeah. and i do like the fact that you know you can mix and match in yeah. the android ecosystem right like you can have a oneplus watch with a exactly. you know a pixel exactly. 6 right but i think it's it's just oh man google what are you doing <laughs> like i'm happy that you announced a 7 but like you are You know, what are you going to do until then? Like, people are going to forget about it and then it's going to come out and you're going to get reviews. I'm sure it's going to be good, but it's going to be the same story all again. Well, you know, iPhone's out already and Samsung, I don't know if Samsung's going to do anything because they don't have a Note line anymore, but maybe they'll do something. And the reality is people are going to be like, oh, yeah, the Pixel 7, I completely forgot about that, right? You think so? Well, in a way, I mean, I'm not talking about you and me, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. or even my audience because there's tech savvy early sure. adopters. They are going to, if they're a Pixel fans, they're going to want it. Yeah. And, but if they're, if it's just the average person, yeah. even in markets that are not like the US dominated by Apple and Samsung only, yeah. I think they're going to be like, forget it. I'm just going to buy the Find X5 Pro or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, because yeah. they can yeah. and, and they're going to f- forget about it. So I, I'm not convinced that it was a good strategy. But I'm looking forward to the 6a, and, you know, I want to eat my popcorn while they release the tablet and see what happens. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> oh, man. So let's talk about the next big item for the week, which is Sony's Xperia 1 Mark IV, which is now official. We have specs, we have info. And wow, I I have always liked the Sony phones, especially in the last few years, where you know, they finally put YS on the cameras, and they finally got wireless charging on the yeah. phones. And, you know, high refresh rate on that yeah. beautiful 4K display. Exactly. So this is just an iteration and evolution. I reviewed yeah. the 5 Mark Three, which is a smaller version of the sure. 1 Mark Three. And honestly, if you have the money, great. Yeah. But yeah. it's not for everyone. And I think this phone... From what I'm seeing in the specs, looks like just an evolution of that.
2: Yeah, it definitely looks like an, an evolution. Uh, not that that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, things like the 5,000 hour battery, which is um, about 500 more than... That's
1: a lot of yeah. a deal,
2: because S-
1: Sony's always been a little skimpy on the battery. Yeah, they
2: have. I mean, I think it was the... I might be mistaken, but I know the Xperia 1 and 1 Mark Two. I think, may have only been like 4,000 or thereabouts. Right. You know, so um, I might be mistaken, but yeah. No, I uh, think you're right but 5000 hours that's kind of like the the premium battery yeah. capacity nowadays
1: you know so they improved the battery they've improved the display it's brighter it's, it's yeah. the same 120 hertz, 4K amazing display yeah. but one of the big drawbacks when i reviewed it was it's a little dim yeah. and so they fixed that i don't know how much and brighter it's not
2: adaptive i think as well
1: it's adaptive too it's probably oh, yeah. uh, Is it? it's probably okay. i don't know it might be an LTPO oh, this time oh, i don't know yeah um this article i linked to uh, on Engadget has all the details what sticks out the most here is that you know that telephoto that they used to have yeah on the variable the, where which basically two steps right yes. like one and the other and one and the other now it's completely variable so you know it's funny they say it's the world's first yeah but if you remember properly the asus zenphone zoom yes. did exactly yes. that a periscope lens with a variable zoom, except that was the main sensor. They had only one sensor and it did everything. Wow. And of course the f-stops were pretty bad. And with the sensors of the time, which weren't very light sensitive, it low meant light. a low light sacrifice. Yeah. But in this case, you get a dedicated main sensor, a dedicated ultra wide and a dedicated variable telephoto. Yeah. And that's got me excited because well, yeah, now you don't have to compromise the digital zoom yeah. between that. I really I really do like the idea of
2: that, um, the continuous zoom. I believe it's something, uh, I forget the exact uh, zoom equivalent, but it's something like 3.3 to like about 5. Yeah, that's about
1: right. That's what so I was looking for. Yeah. It's a bit of a narrow yeah. zoom range, but... Um, it's, 85 to 125 millimeter 35 millimeter equivalent yeah, yeah. so that's actually pretty good yeah it's yeah. about three times yeah. to five times
2: so it's not quite um as uh, far reaching as like the s22 ultra which is like 10x zoom um but i do think the continuous zoom thing i can see sony having scope to create
1: uh going even further, you know, like 7x or whatever in the future. I'm curious if they're going to be able to do the autofocus while you zoom because the problem yeah. with a lot of these zoom lenses is, you know, not on DSLRs and, you know, big glass, but I'm typically on these, even on point and shoot cameras in the past that had the little periscope system was the ability to keep in focus while zooming in. So when you do video, because you have to continuously autofocus as you're zooming, right? Sure and i'm also wondering what the f-stop is i don't have the details here yeah, because yeah. the depth, whether the f-stop varies or not over the zoom yeah, range yeah i'm not sure either some lenses most lenses do vary it costs a lot more to make one that's a fixed f-stop over a zoom lens so i'm my god this is going to vary and it's probably not going to be great but the sensors used are the 3 12 megapixel sensors that were there before, and they're pretty solid. Yeah. And the reason they don't go to high megapixel count on these uh, Sony Xperia phones is because Sony wants to be able to do 120 frame per second uh, capture at all times yeah. so that they can do eye autofocus and face autofocus that sure. tracks like on their real cameras. And so it's interesting because you know they are really large sensors with large pixels so good low light but you don't get that binning or whatever you just get the um basically much much faster scanning of yeah, the sensor yeah. so they can read the sensor faster yeah it's
2: an interesting um choice uh, i think it's not necessarily worse than no going, i think it's yeah, fine. not necessarily better but i think it's it is an interesting choice um and yeah 4k 120 frames per second video recording on all three cameras I believe yeah which is which is really cool to see because I remember seeing uh I think it was Sony as well and asus on their Zen phone six or seven series doing 4k 120 frames per second video um'm I'm, I'm quite I'm quite liking that sort of thing you know
1: I mean if you're like a wildlife photographer and you want to capture like a bird taking off from a tree in the distance you can use this telephoto max zoom. And record at 120 frames per second, 4K, this bird taking off, you know, or this butterfly. Like, that is really cool. Like, you don't get to do that with most other phones. Yeah, for sure. So, I think I'm excited about it. I know it's going to be very expensive. But I'm glad that Sony has consistently been listening to our feedback. Like, you know, for a while they didn't have wireless charging, we told them they did it, they added it. then you know 5g support at least not in the us in the first in the mark ii i think it was and mark 3 did have it i don't know if this is a millimeter wave is what i'm trying to say um that's not a big deal for you guys but for us it's important and i'm hoping because they sell them in japan and japan is very millimeter wave heavy i'm wondering if they actually finally put it yeah
2: fingers crossed you mentioned expense as well and $1,600 one thousand six hundred dollars is a crazy amount to pay for a phone to be honest with you. Um, it's four hundred dollars more than the the s twenty two ultra um, yeah. I think or, or thereabouts. I understand it, but they're selling
1: yeah, apparently Sony Mobile has been doing yeah, better than profits. yeah, <laughs> better than they've done in a long time yeah. so
2: I agree with the strategy um, in principle a good thing. in principle yeah. because um you know we saw what happened with LG where they went kind of like, you know, $800, $900 phones, but they still weren't selling, you know, so Sony's figured out that they have this core audience of people who, for better or worse, will buy these phones no matter what, you know, uh, this is, I I think this represents a a bit of a gamble for Sony now, because they've they've shown that this high, um, this low volume, high price strategy can work. They get, they're becoming more aggressive on the strategy going, you know, adding $300 to to the cost or $400 to the cost of the phone. Um, this could this could bite them in the butt, but um, it's also possible that you know these the the same Sony fans will, will keep buying these phones and we'll have more profits. So we'll see.
1: I mean, I I like these phones. I don't think I would spend my money on them, and, and I, I do recommend them to people if they are into photography, especially if they're used to using the Alpha camera systems from Sony and they don't want to always lug around an Alpha camera. And if you have the money. It's a a really well-rounded phone. You're getting a lot, like, gaming performance is going to be great. Snapdragon 8 Gen 1. You know, you get tons of RAM and storage. Uh, I believe there's micro SD. There's wireless charging. Headphone jack. You know, the stereo speakers are front-firing. Like, it's just headphone jack. I know. Like, who does a flagship that still has a headphone jack? Exactly.
2: Exactly. So,
1: I'm in. I'm in, but I'm not sure it's for my money because... I still think that the Galaxy S22 Ultra that's recording this right now is probably my choice in terms of most versatility and most compatibility, even though I'm not a huge fan of one UI, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think this is exciting, and I'm glad Sony's you um, doing something about it. We've heard rumors. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a 5 Mark IV at some point. Sure. They've also announced the 10 Mark IV at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I didn't look into the specs. I have yeah. no idea. I don't really care too much about the 10 series. But, um, you know, the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, there's still a lot of things we need to, to figure out. Like the f-stop on that telephoto. Is there a millimeter wave? A bunch of other things. But... You know we know the price we know mostly what we're getting and yeah <laughs> craziness um, we know a little more about the um, Z Fold 4 there's a, a leak that came out this week I usually you know don't cover a lot of the Samsung and Apple leaks because there's almost one every week but this actually completely reveals the industrial design sure. of the Z Fold
2: yeah. 4 so what do you think of that I mean it looks like a um, a minor, a minor kind of yeah, evolution. Yeah, there yeah. we go. Um, I think I used that in the previous <laughs> story. I was trying to think of synonym for evolution. Um, but yeah, so it seems it seems like a uh, an evolution, which is great. Um, I think uh, I, I couldn't actually tell, but I'm assuming that it's there uh, in the renders. I couldn't actually tell if there's an under display uh, uh, camera, selfie camera on the main foldable screen. Um, but I'm guessing it's there, uh, and uh, I hope that um, the fact that I can't tell is a good sign, because they've improved it. Yeah, yeah.
1: And then the other thing it looks like is the camera part industrial design matches the S22 Ultra. Yeah. So we're moving away from the previous generation design yeah. there, which I think so is So individual interesting.
2: camera housings instead of uh, the Z Fold
1: 3s, one camera housing hosting three camera, cameras. Yeah, and have you seen any of the renders when it's shut? Does it still have that gap? Uh, I, I don't recall I don't recall seeing the I gap. Don't think no. yeah, they yeah. they have I don't think I've seen renders of it shut, but that's one of the things that obviously other companies have solved, right? Like the Oppo Find N and a bunch of the other like the Vivo foldable. Yeah.
2: All the fold- and all a the lot fold- of them fold- are doing fold-
1: the teardrop razor uh, setup where it's sure. kind of And I'm wondering how long it'll be before Samsung does that because the crease I'm not worried about it yeah. when I use it, like I don't yeah. mind, it's not in my way, but I find that, you know, I'm always worried it's going to, you know, we've seen it yes. actually crack, yeah. but I'm always worried it's going to crack, yeah. uh, more likely to crack anyway than say an Oppo fine and yeah. Teardrop design.
2: Yeah, I I used the, the Z Fold 3, you know, for a few weeks uh, last year and... I also had the Z Flip 3 as well um, that was accidentally sent to me. <laughs> I love and, the Z Flip 3. And the one thing I, I will say is that as big as the crease is on the Z Fold 3, the fact that you aren't touching it, generally speaking, because if you're holding it open, you're you know you're interacting like that or whatever. Um, I, it didn't really bother me as much, mm-hmm. whereas on the Z Flip 3, because it's dead center, you know, a horizontal line, you feel it now and again, and you are reminded of it. So uh, that is something, uh, at least in the Z Fold 3's favor. So if there is still a, a substantial crease there, it's not quite a, a huge deal. But yes, rival brands are definitely um, improving the crease on paper.
1: Yeah, so let's see what happens. I mean, look, we know this is coming. It's inevitable. And I actually, actually, you know, we were... Talking earlier, and I was like, "What, are, what is Samsung going to do in the fall?" Well, of course, it's the fold and the flip at this yeah. point. Like, I'm realizing normally they come out, you know, a little earlier. Like the flip comes out around this time. Uh, August, last year, August was uh, the flip in August last yeah, year. Okay, yeah, yeah. But the point August, is, like, so, so basically, we're going to see the same this year. It's going to be like I think it's going to be Samsung, Apple, Google. Yeah. So you know, hang on, it's <laughs> going to be a, a roller coaster ride again. Um, so I put in this Sharp phone because, well, you know, phones from Japan are kind of special, even though they're not necessarily good, they're special. Yeah. And so Sharp launched the Aquos R7 in Japan. It's the second phone they've done now with a very large one inch, uh, camera sensor. Uh, in fact, didn't one of The previous model, the R5 or whatever, didn't that become the Leica phone? Uh, The R6 became the Leica Lights 1. That's right. The R6 became the Leica Lights 1. So this, and and those two phones, the R6 and the Leica Lights 1 did not live up to the hype in terms of like, oh my God, a one-inch sensor. And I think because a lot of it is because of computational photography, they don't have the chops, but I'm, you know, I want to give Sharp. You know, some credit for continuing down this path and possibly trying to improve on it. We hope that this is gonna be a better implementation. But yeah. there's something to be said about putting a large sensor on a phone, right?
2: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, also there's a lot of, like you talk about, you know, phones from Japan, you know, doing crazy things. Uh, Sharp is, has been one of these proponents. I mean, I believe it was either the R2 or one of the previous Aqu- AQUOS phones, which basically had a camera dedicated for video and a camera dedicated for, cam- you know, oh, stalls. Yeah, yeah. You know. So uh, Sharp does have this reputation for trying new things, um, so, you know, this 47 megapixel one inch sensor, it's definitely on brand for them. Um, like you say, I, I completely agree. Computational photography, you know, generally trumps like, you know, crazy hardware, yeah. uh, camera, camera hardware. So that's some, that's an area where Sharp desperately needs to get its, its, um, Act together. act together. Yeah, for sure. I think. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not quite sharp in this. In speaking right now.
1: Jet <laughs> lag. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, for me, what stands out here, and I want to point this out. This is not a phone you and I are gonna buy, but in Japan, it's a real thing, and it has Sharp has been doing high quality imaging phones for a really long time, way before smartphones. They had Japanese market phones in the late 90s, early 2000s with crazy like, you know, like, like the lenses that retract and expand, oh, wow. yeah, like yeah. like a, a point and shoot camera, yeah, yeah. like like Samsung did for yeah, a while. X4 right? zoom and the yeah, yeah. zoom. But yeah. even before that, they had dumb phones oh, with right. that yes, technology yes. that were really incredibly good. So it's not unusual for for Sharp to to push an imaging thing, and also yeah. their displays are. Some of the best, Um, always have been the ISGO, whatever they're called, are always (laughs) tops, whether they're LCDs or AMOLEDs. And this is an AMOLED, 240 Hertz refresh. And you're gonna say, why? Well, you know, why not? (laughs) It's just like, the point is they can make an OLED that refreshes that high. And, you know, there was the last Sharp phone we got in the US was about, I want to say seven or eight, oh, more than that. Probably eight, almost 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, And it was on Sprint, which is no longer Sprint, now it's part of T-Mobile. It looked a lot like the Mi Mix, the original. Yes, yes. You know, where it had just a, a bottom chin, yes. like a Mac, yes. iMac, you was know? Was it the Aqua's Crystal? It was the Aqua's yes. Crystal. And it had the thinnest possible bezel. And part of the way they did it was by having, of course, really thin bezels, but they did a beveled, The the front was actually not glass. It was a high-quality polycarbonate. But it was bezel cut on the edges so that that bezel would kind of reflect the light from the display and hide the actual physical plastic bezel underneath it. And it really looked like the display, like other than the chin that had the camera on it like an iMac would have a chin right that thing was there and and then above it was just a a floating display it really was for 10 years ago it was unbelievable and it was an lcd panel and i remember the color calibration the quality of that panel was superior and this was not a very expensive phone this was like uh i don't know like a a mid-ranger spec wise at the time did
2: you guys
1: ever get that one
2: no, we we never got Sharp phones, um, and it's interesting that we're also talking about this being a Japanese-only release because Sharp announced, I think, in 2019 that they would be, hey, guys, we're back in Europe, and Aha. I don't think that any of the recent Sharp flagships have made their way to Europe, so um, yeah. a bit of a pointless announcement, to be honest, but um, yeah, I I don't think... I don't think anyone any tech enthusiast would be opposed to shop selling their phones uh, on a more widespread basis
1: so this is a 47 megapixel sensor and it has a snapdragon 8 gen 1 of course um so you know i'm linking to a story on xta developers about that check it out i think it's really fascinating um it's always nice to cover phones that are not the phones you get in your market because especially japanese phones because they're just Wackadoodle doodle yeah. out there. Also so, like a
2: 1.9 megapixel uh, portrait uh, sensor, uh, depth, depth sensor or whatever. Sensor. I know, it's
1: got just a second lens. No ultra-wide, forget it. Yeah. Um, you're not getting an ultra-wide. What's wide. a
2: telephoto?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> oh, man. So it's interesting to me because I am kind of feel like, you know, they're just really like, okay, let's really focus on that main sense. put all yeah. our energy. Of course, we know from the previous model, eh, that didn't pan out too well. But I want to know that they did it better this time. I want to yeah. give them the benefit of the doubt. So, yeah, it's exciting. Um, the last thing I want to kind of touch on before we wrap up is, it's just uh, kind of want to have a moment for this because it's such an important thing. The iPod is officially done. It's officially discontinued the iPod Touch, obviously, now. Uh, is finally Apple has said we're stopping making them, we're stopping selling. Whatever is on the shelves right now is the last you can buy. And, you know... A lot of you are going to like whatever iPod, but think about this: the iPod was the product. The iMac was the beginning, but the iMac did not sell on the numbers to really turn Apple yeah. around. It yeah. wasn't until the iPod came that it turned Definitely. Apple around, and it gave Apple the cash it needed to do the R&D for the iPhone and the iPad, sure. and to bring us to where we are today. And yeah. then the iPod Touch. You know, I was really surprised in 2000. You know, eight or whatever it was when they launched. I think it was actually no, it was 2007. Like literally three months after they launched the iPhone, I actually like delivered it to the yeah. customers in the summer. Right? They surprised us was like iPod Touch. It's like the iPhone without the iPhone, yeah, right? Yeah. And and that was a brilliant strategy because it was a hundred dollars less than the iPhone, which was a lot at the time. But you know, it was thin, it was sexy, and then they continued doing that. I would have loved to see a final iPod Touch with face ID, super thin, (laughs) super sexy, swan song, but I guess it didn't make business sense because it's always been sexy. I don't know if you've ever seen an iPod Touch in the wild, Uh, especially the later generations. around the the fourth (laughs) gen, The the colored ones that have the little lanyard push-pull thing. Those things, if you see them in the wild and you kind of – don't think of I, you think phone. You're like, what Apple product is yeah, that, yeah. right? Like you have to like do a double take. Yeah. They're so thin. Like what is it, five millimeters, something like that. Something
2: stupid like that, yeah.
1: Um, and
2: I remember using the my fourth gen. Um, you know, I think this is like in 2015 or 2016 when phones became bigger, and it was so puny in my hand. But it was it was still a really a neat design. It was my. I'm not an, I'm not an Apple fan, so I don't really own any Apple things anymore. But like. I had the iPod Touch was like my gateway into it, and it's still fun memories of like you know the early days of the App Store and yeah. you know that sort of thing. What uh, color did you get? Uh, I think
1: it was just a it was just a plain silver. Silver, pack, so it's know? actually the early one. Yeah, you yeah. never got to the later ones. No, no. So you know, a little moment for the iPod, it's over. And uh, you know, if you need an iPod Touch, go get one before the supplies yeah, yeah. are out. Um, I mean, it's an A10 chip. It's not <laughs> particularly exciting. It never got Touch ID. It never got Face ID. So, you know, in a way that's kind of regrettable because it would make a great device for people who don't necessarily want more than Wi-Fi connectivity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I do remember, however, like uh, when
2: the iPods first came out, um, I think my high school bully had one and that made it not cool in my eyes. I was like, no, I'm not going to get this. He has it, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I ended up with a 64-meg MP3 player back in 2005.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I got an iPod um, because I was huge into music, SLM, but I mean, you know, I was still listening to music on CDs on the go, which was really inconvenient. <laughs> skipping. Um no no, the skipping oh. they they had, had, they had, had a skip already, oh, right. but it's more like the space it took. And you know even the the latest disciplines I had had uh, I mean I don't know if they were, I don't remember if I've always bought Sony because I changed every year. Very much like phones today. Um I had one that did that played back MP3s as well so I could you know condense it a little sure. bit. But you know the idea of a not even using memory cards because there was all the real, uh, you know, creative, uh, you know, Rio Nomad, whatever, yeah, yes, that's right, uh, MP3 players from the competition. The concept of a device that's the size of a deck of cards that contains five to ten thousand songs yes. and transfer these songs over FireWire, which at the time was yeah. the fastest thing you could use to transfer data between devices, was absolutely brilliant and using a hard of short proof small hard drive instead of at the time super expensive flash memory was also a stroke of genius and i was not an apple person either then and i just looked and i looked at the technology and i was like no this is this is a milestone device and i went out and put my hard-earned money on a gen 2 which was the one before the 30 pin connector so it it, it still had the firewire connector and it had a little flap to hide it because the 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 first one gen doesn't have the flap so dirt gets in there and the first gen right had an actual rotating clicky wheel mine had the capacitive clicky wheel but it was gen 2 and there was windows software because Gen One didn't have Windows support, Gen Two had Windows support. So Gen Two is—I got—I got the Windows version because I had a PC at the time. I bought a cheap FireWire card and put it in there, and it lives up to its promise. I mean, I had actually no issues making that work. Um, yeah. So, and here, and this is how I became became an Apple fangirl eventually. I mean, I'm not like you know, I have a Mac here, but I still use Android primarily. But I still have a bunch of Apple products in my home. I'm not completely invested in the ecosystem, but my beginning of really paying attention and liking Apple products and admiring them for what they are at times brilliant, at times silly. It started then. It started then. Yeah. Wow. What journey? Yeah, I bought a MacBook Pro after that. Not MacBook Pro at the time they were called PowerBooks. Yes. um, Because I'm, you know, I'm a developer originally a long time ago and having Unix or Linux or whatever under the hood is a thing for me that made sense. So I was like, okay, they're expensive, but the hardware is beautiful. It's got Linux or actually Unix under the hood. So let's see how I get along with that. Yeah. You know, but yeah. I came from Windows. I was like a Windows user. And it changed my life. I was just, oh, my God, this is so much better. <laughs> It's expensive, but oh my God, it's so much better for what I was doing. So I, uh, you know, I kind of switched, but I always keep a PC around. I have a bunch of Windows machines just in case I need to do something. I've got Linux boxes floating around too, because you know, I'm a nerd just in case. Do you have (laughs) a Linux box? Uh, So I, so, you
2: know, growing up, I think we only got our first PC in 2004 when I was like maybe 14 or 15 or whatever. And then for some reason, a few years uh, later, that PC, it was Windows, obviously, XP, and uh, something went wrong, with the, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong, and I just loaded up Linux on it, you know, and I ran that for like two years in, into college, so that was like my first exposure with like, that's you know, awesome. Linux, so that was, was really fun, yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. I kind of want to do that again. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. You should. I mean, I like to keep a Linux uh, boot drive in my bag just in case Sweet. my uh, hardware goes bad and I need to use somebody else's computer. Exactly. I don't have to touch their stuff. Exactly. Do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the Internet?
2: Um, sure. Uh, if you if you want to follow, you know, my work, you can obviously check out Android dot com. Otherwise, I am on I am on Twitter. It's, it's not a ton of like professional stuff. It's, uh, you know, I'm sure it'll be a lot of personal stuff, but uh, it's at Hadley Simons. Uh, you know, one, one, one name, no apostate dashes or whatever in between or whatever. Um, yeah, awesome.
1: Yeah, you should follow Hadley. He covers a lot of chip stuff. So MediaTek, you know, Qualcomm, others. You're kind of like my go-to. When I want to know what's really going on, I just read your stories. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, it's true. And folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tank Girl. that's T-N-K-G-R-L on Twitter and on Instagram. If you want to chat about this podcast with me and Hadley, hit us up on Twitter. Instagram is not as convenient, but we'll be happy to talk to you there. If you look at my Instagram, you'll find that it's just a bunch of pictures of phones and pictures of cars, mostly all taken with phones. (laughs) Uh, That's basically what I do. And uh, as you know, there is a couple of YouTube channels. If you want visual content that goes alongside the podcast, you want to watch some of the products like this podcast. one plus unboxed and walked through the specs sheet and stuff that's what the youtube channels are for the first channel is youtube.com mobile podcast and it's mostly about phones wearables and audio you know headphones earbuds the second channel is uh youtube.com mobile tech more and it's all the peripheral stuff like home automation car tech travel tech you know think robot vacuums that kind of stuff and we're just developing that new uh, channel so you know please subscribe to the channels you know how youtube works so like tell your friends subscribe Click the notification icon, comment. And you can comment about the podcast on YouTube as well, if you'd like. I'll answer the, the comments. The podcast itself lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. Of course, on all the major platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, everywhere good podcasts can be found. If your app lets you rate or review the podcast, consider doing that. It helps people discover the show, so please think about that. And then there's a Patreon. I mentioned it halfway through. If you want to watch a video version of this podcast, it's on Patreon and it's uh, one of the tiers. You get the video version like a day or two before the public audio version and it's a little more raw. I just leave a lot of the banter in there, you know, like I'll, I'll cut out some stuff, but generally it's a lot more kind of feels more like a live experience. So and you get to see some of the phones we play with. I mean, for me, this is boring for you guys because everybody's got a Pixel, right? The bottom line is check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash tanker. That's patreon.com slash TNKGRL. There's also a tier for a Discord server if you want to chat with me. And uh, you know, if you don't like Patreon, I get it. You know, there's another option. There is a PayPal link in the show notes. You can click through there. It takes you to a button where you can make a donation, buy me a coffee, buy me lunch, whatever. So, you know, consider helping out. This is how I make this podcast work, through your help, through your donations. Consider Patreon. I want to thank my patrons, of course, for being there for me. And consider also this PayPal donate button. And finally, I want to thank Tech for being our sponsor this week. So thanks to Tech, And thanks to you, Hadley, for being a guest yeah, it's on only my a pleasure. Show. It's only a pleasure. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. We'll have you on the show at some point in the future. Maybe not in person, but we'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah, for sure we will. And folks, we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. Bye.
0: This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.